want you to think as we study tonight, as we begin, about the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen. Try to picture that in your mind, a, a sight that just took your breath away, a sight where you said, oh my word, I can't believe what I'm seeing. For the kids in the room, it may be the tree at home tonight, right? A tree that has all those presents underneath it. For, for us parents, that might be the worst sight when we see the stack of bills that we're required to get the stuff under the tree. What's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? What's, what's the thing that captivated you? Maybe it was a time when you were in the mountains and you just saw majestic beauty, or maybe you were at a beautiful tropical beach, or, or maybe it was the sight of your child when they were first born. Whatever it is, it's something that was evocative to you, something that brought you joy and brought you in that moment a, a different perspective, a great appreciation, usually for what God has done, usually for the miracle of His work and the miracle of His creation. But of all the things that, that we have in our minds over the years, of all the memories that I have as I think through the last year and think through the things that have happened in my life and places I've been and things I've experienced, there's, there's nothing in there that I have seen with my own eyes that has changed the whole course of human history for eternity. Now, in the passage that we're going to look at for a few moments tonight, in Luke chapter 2, there's a man named Simeon. And Simeon saw the most wonderful, beautiful, incredible, amazing sight that he would ever see. And he knew in that moment, he knew as he saw this young couple walk into the temple and he saw this little newborn, eight-day-old baby in their arms. He knew in that moment that nothing would ever be the same because that baby would be the only one who could deliver people from eternal death forever. I know that's kind of a strange thing to say on Christmas Eve. I mean, we come here and we think, well, we'll have nice images in our minds. We'll talk about happy things and we'll sing a couple Christmas carols and we'll light our candles and go home and have time with our family and and whatever the case may be. But what happened in the temple just a few days after Jesus was born tells us a lot about the reason why Jesus came. We just sang it as a choir. He is here. Why did he come? Why was he here? Why did God intervene in history? Why did God come in flesh to be here? The incarnation wasn't accidental. This was not just some random haphazard throw it together, fly by the seat of the pants, kind of last minute idea that God had, well, well, I better think of something because man is in trouble. It was precipitated by the condition of mankind. It was something that was solved only by the salvation that, that God can provide. And interestingly, as we look in a moment as Simeon's statement, he talks about both things. He talks about why Christ had to come, why God intervened in history on our behalf. Let's look at it. Chapter 2 of the book of Luke, if you're already there, let's just read about 10, 11 verses tonight, starting in verse 25. Luke 2, 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout 
looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are... Sorry, I can't see it. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As we've talked about all month, as we've studied these passages, as we look at the Christmas account, there are a lot of thoughts in our minds. There are a lot of images and and ideas of what this might have looked like. And, And I've developed over the years a picture of what this scene was like with Joseph and Mary bringing in Jesus to be presented in the temple and these two older faithful servants, Simeon and Anna, who were, who were constantly in the temple. In fact, it says later about Anna that she stayed there day and night. She never left. She was constantly in the presence of God. And seeing this baby and knowing in that moment that he was the one, he was the Savior, he was the Messiah that they had waited for for so long. It hit me this week that they probably couldn't see very well. They were, they were older people. Their eyesight as mine was trying to read the small print of my text, was, was starting not to be as clear. And even though they couldn't see physically as well, even though their, their perspective and their discernment wasn't quite as sharp, they're so sensitive to the Lord, they're so full of the Holy Spirit at this point, that as this baby comes into the temple, they sense the presence of the Lord, and they go immediately over to Him. See, they're godly, discerning people. They're They're devout. They're righteous. They trust and serve the Lord without any parallel. The Spirit, as He describes them, interestingly, and you can go on after verse 35 later tonight, the Spirit describes them only in positive and affirming terms. There's nothing negative here. Simeon, the devout believer, the man who was full of God's Spirit, who was seeking God's help for the nation and Anna, who served the Lord and called on him day and night in his house. It's, it's hard to imagine two more exemplary people, and yet we don't talk about them enough. But the reason that they're here, the reason that they're in the, the heart of the story, because this is not uh, incidental, it's not like, oh, they just happen to be there. It says that the Spirit brought Simeon to the temple at that time. And it, the reason that they're there is because they highlight the first and, and primary reason why Jesus came to be born and to live and to die and to rise from the dead. Let's be very clear tonight. Jesus came to be the Savior for all people. That's the truth of this evening. It's the truth of this holiday. It is the truth that man needs to hear tonight. Jesus Christ came to be the Savior for all people. 
Now we have this man, Simeon, and I want you to look at the text because the description is very clear. It says that he was righteous and devout. The first word means that he was faultless and guiltless. And the reason for that is because he was diligent to obey the law. The second word says that he was a pious man who reverenced God. So he's, he's holy, he's faultless, he's guiltless. His whole desire is to serve and love and obey the Lord. And, and God considered him to be holy and, and pious, a man who really understood what it meant to, to reverence and be in awe of God and to fear the Lord. That's a pretty good resume, right? Wouldn't you like to have that written about you? I'd love to have the Lord be able to say, hey, Rhodes, boy, that guy, he is, he is holy and he's righteous and he cares about me and he only thinks about me and he reverences me and he's in awe of me and he fears me. What a thing to be said. Simeon's reputation was flawless. There wasn't something you could find in him where you said, well, that part of his life's kind of questionable. Really, this is what our lives should look like. There shouldn't be areas of our life that are, that are kind of, eh, they're not quite in line with the Lord, but everything else is great. To be righteous and holy and to walk with Christ is to be like this. And then I want you to see second in verse 25 that he was looking for Israel's deliverance and comfort. The nation was in turmoil. Not from the Philistines, not from the Midianites, not from the Assyrians, all the ones that we see over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Israel was fractured and it was in chaos and it was scattered because the people had rebelled against the Lord and the people had forsaken the Lord and followed other idols and ignored the prophets as they came along and God sent warnings and said, you need to listen to me. Israel just continued to ignore and ignore and ignore. And Simeon was broken by that. It disturbed him. It it hurt his soul because he cared about the nation. Not because he wanted to be comfortable and he wanted there to be no conflict in his life. He cared about it because he knew the two things were connected. The fact that Israel had rebelled and the fact that they were in turmoil. And he said to himself, I want it to be different. And he started to pray, Lord, change it. Lord, bring the nation back to you so that they will be following after you and so that there will be peace. I don't, I don't know if there could be any greater motivation for us about evangelism and outreach in 2013 than this thought. People need to know Jesus Christ. We need to say that over and over again because I think we forget sometimes. People need Jesus Christ. And if we can have that kind of motivation and that kind of drive, see that drive is, is not driven by a program and it's not driven by an announcement. It's driven by being full of the Holy Spirit, of having the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look back at the text. It says that Simeon had the Holy Spirit on him. And he had a special assignment. He had a special word from the Lord. He's led by the Lord. There's an important spiritual principle there. When we live by the Spirit and when we listen to the Holy Spirit, He will reveal to us what's right. He'll reveal to us where we should go. He'll reveal to us what we should do. And we have to trust in that because if it's not true in our lives, then we have to do a very hard examination for spiritual pride and for sin and for resistance to the work of the Lord in our lives. And that needs to be a daily request. I encourage us in the coming days 
and in this year as we head into 2013. Can you believe it? As we head into this new year in a few weeks, I pray that our request each day will be that God will refine our hearts and our minds and that our self will be put to death and that our hearts would be made more like Christ. If there's anything you and I need and if there's anything this church needs is that we would be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't want you to overthink that. I don't want you to overreact to that. Very simply, what does that mean? It means that there's nothing of us and there's all of Him. Let's not confuse tonight what it means to be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean? It means I'm emptied of self and I'm full of God. And if that would be true of your life and my life and our families and our workplaces and our church and, and, and uh, America in terms of our whole perspective of who God is, if that would be true, everything would change. The life of Christ would be fulfilled in us. That's who Simeon was. Nobody was more holy. Nobody was more full of the Spirit. No one had better spiritual credentials than, these, than this guy. I tried to think of somebody that had, that had a better spiritual resume than him going all the way back to King David. And I really couldn't think of anybody that Scripture talks about as highly as him other than maybe John the Baptist. But John the Baptist comes later. So all the way back to King David, all the way forward through the prophets and the scattering and the dispersion and the captivity and the years of silence, all the way through, and then we get to this man, Simeon, and he's been faithful for dozens and dozens of years without any real, sensible, uh, 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 tangible reward other than God blessing him. We need to understand that. Get that perspective tonight, because when you go back to verse 30, look at it for a moment. Simeon still, with this great resume, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, with with the leading of the Holy Spirit, with God's special assignment for him, with all of that, you get to verse 30, and Simeon still knows that he needed salvation from the Lord. His righteousness, his resume, his reputation, none of it saved him. Even though he trusted in the Lord, he recognizes in verse 30 that he has to have a Savior and that the Savior is this baby. That salvation and redemption, which is the word that Anna uses, and, and peace with God was only going to be accomplished through Emmanuel, through God with us, through the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And that's the second thought that we see about Simeon is that he blessed God when he saw Jesus. Think about the Pharisees who thought they were righteous, who thought they had a lock on the great reputation and the great resume, the Bible says that they would walk around in their flowing robes and they attached bells to them so everybody would hear them coming. And they had the phylacteries, little boxes with, the, with part of the Torah that they would wear either on their head or their forearm. You can see them even today when you go to Israel. You can see these men walking around in their long black robes with their curls on the sideburns and they had the little flactories in there and they walk around like this like I am so special everybody notice me that's what the Pharisees did they didn't have righteousness but they acted like they did so think about Simeon he is righteous 
And the Holy Spirit leads him into the temple, especially to see this baby. Now, what could his reaction have been? We get so used to seeing what Scripture says, but imagine the possibilities. He could have been all puffed up and proud. God brought me here today. I'm here to see the baby. Sometimes people, when they're proud, they talk like an announcer on the radio. I'm here. Where's the baby? Yes, I'm Simeon. God considers me to be righteous. And the Holy Spirit clearly led me here today to see the baby. Where is he? I know that seems silly, but that's what he could have done. And when he sees the baby, he could have said, Oh, Lord, see, you told me, you gave me this promise, and now, everybody, look, it's been fulfilled. God has worked in my life. He doesn't make this moment around him. He only praises God. And he says, Lord, you have finally brought the Savior that will provide all that we need. You see, the true recognition of faith is not only that we admit that we need to be saved and that we can't be saved without Christ, but it's also when we praise God and say, Lord, I thank you that you sent Christ to save me. It's not just, Lord, I'm a worm, I'm nothing. How can I possibly expect anything from you? But you sent Christ, and Lord, I'm going to praise you. See, the pride of man doesn't do that. It curses Jesus, and it ignores Jesus, and it marginalizes Jesus, and it rejects Jesus. That's outlandish. It's a fraud. How could you people believe such a thing? dismisses the possibility that he could be the Savior. Oh, come on. Really? Seriously? A little baby? Why would God do that? You think God cares about us to to intervene in history? Or, Or worse, it makes salvation part of an equation. Well, yeah, I believe Jesus came, but, you know, I gotta, I gotta do good works too, and I gotta kinda add to it. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Because we brag about it. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any of us should say, I'm part of it. Our response to Jesus. This is why this is such a great evening. Our response to Jesus should just be to bless him. And praise him. That God would offer us salvation that we can't secure ourselves. And look, that's what Simeon talks about next. Go to verse 31. The third statement he makes is so powerful. He talks about the salvation that God has prepared for all people. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the people. I want you to see that word prepared because it offers a very unique perspective on how the Lord works. The word in the Greek means to make all the necessary preparations. Did you see the people that were running around today if you were out trying all of a sudden to buy gifts? And guess what? They're sold out. I've been one of those people some years. I know. I admit it. I'm being honest tonight. Oh, I'll just, I'll do it. I'll get it last minute. A couple years ago, Julie said to me, you know that stuff sells out, right? 
Stuff's not going to sell out. Got to the store, guess what? Stuff was sold out. I didn't make the necessary preparations. You're not buying your tree tonight, right? You're not going to, well, let's see. It's 5 o'clock. The stores close at 5. I better buzz out of here real quick because i got to go buy 10 presents in the next minute. You've been working and planning and wrapping and baking and, and decorating. That's, that's what we do for Christmas. It doesn't come together unless you prepare. Well, guess what? Look at the verse, verse 31. God says, I prepared. Jesus Christ didn't come on a lark before the foundation of the world. I knew what was going to happen. I saw that the sin would be committed. And guess what? Before you were ever formed, before I said, let there be light and let us make man in our own image and let us form him out of the dust of the ground and let's breathe life into him. Before any of that happened, I saw your sin and I decided before you ever were born, I'm going to send Jesus. This was prepared. And he uses the whole Old Testament to to prepare and foreshadow what he's going to do. When Adam and Eve sin, he starts to help us understand without a shadow of a doubt that there is rebellion and defiance in man's heart. That we all are unrighteous. And he even chooses a people out and says, I will bless you. I'll I'll multiply you. I'll give you land. I'll give you favor. I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you the right people to lead you. I'll give you my presence. I'll do miracles that, that, that you will unbelievably believe because I want to show you how good I am. And even with that, people said, we don't care. So then God shows the cost of sin through death and then establishes the need for forgiveness and and the concept of atonement or payment through sin for sin through the sacrifice and the shedding of blood that is innocent. And then he gives his word and he gives his law to the people to say, this is how I want you to live. And the response of the people is to say, "Eh, take it or leave it. And then God gives example after example after example of what it looks like to live a holy life in contrast to what it means to live an evil life. And then he sends messengers with warnings. Don't get off track. Come back to me. Call on my name. I'll help you. And then he brings discipline to get people to do that because they won't listen. And then he provides a clear picture and he gives a prophecy. A Savior's coming. I'm going to intervene. All up to this moment, God prepared it. He didn't just decide that night, ah, need a plan. Jesus, go. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years before we were ever created. Look at it. You've prepared the salvation that you're going to bring. You knew we were helpless. You knew we were hopeless. You knew sin was so strong and controlling that it would lead us to eternal death. But how many know tonight that he is stronger than sin and death and hell forever? So he said, Jesus is coming. 
victory is yours through him. That's why when Simeon ceased paving, oh, get this tonight. We're almost done. Get this. He starts to openly praise God. Oh, Lord, I thank you. This is the salvation. This is the one that you have prepared for us. First hand, we see your answer. Because he knew that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Listen, we've seen in the last two weeks an extreme example of that with these shootings in Connecticut. And I said to somebody after it happened, we were talking about how tragic it was, and the Lord just gave me a word. And I said, you know what's amazing? Every one of our hearts is that wicked. Every one of us is that guilty. We have that level of darkness in us. This is just an extreme public example of who we are. Now you say, well, Paul, come on. This is not a good Christmas Eve message. That's unfair to shoot a six-year-old is unconscionable. And the response to that is, how many times have you committed murder in your heart? How many times have you committed adultery in your heart? How many times have you stolen or lied or cursed or disrespected God's law in some way? You know what? That shows the deceitfulness and the selfishness of our heart. We've just seen a nasty example of it. But all of us are just as guilty. Simeon knew that. So he sees the baby and he says, God, this is your answer. This is it. Finally, I see it. Look at the last phrase. He says, Jesus, verse 32. Jesus is the light of revelation. Why is light needed? Because there is so much darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So Jesus comes to be the light of revelation. It means that he is here because there is an absence of God in the world. And you know what? We all feel that tonight. We look at the world and we recognize that God is not being honored. But here is the amazing, wonderful truth that we can leave with tonight even though God is being rejected and he's being dishonored and he's being cursed and people are finding every alternative to him. God is not indifferent to what is going on and he apparently is not yet ready to fully judge the world. He is gracious and he's compassionate and he's slow to anger and he's rich in love and he is still shining as a light in darkness and he is still restraining himself and saying, Jesus Christ is the answer to the world you need him. And as Simeon says, that light has two targets. Look at it and we're done. He says, it's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He's talking about spiritual Israel here. In other words, this light is to the unsaved, to people who have a knowledge of God, who have understood God, but have not submitted their lives to Him. So through Christ, who comes to be the light of the world, there's an awareness of our desperate need 
for salvation and God's complete solution. And then the light goes to the saved, to those who have trusted in Christ and Savior, to those whose glory, uh, the glory of God now is being fulfilled in their lives and they're joyful because they're delivered from sin forever. That can be any person. Think about all the people we're going to meet this coming year that don't have that truth in their heart that need to turn from the darkness and go into the glorious light of God that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. That's what this is going to symbolize tonight. That's why we're going to light these candles. The room's going to be dark. There's just going to be this one candle in the middle. And the beauty of that is that even in the darkness of this room, that one candle will penetrate the darkness. That one candle will provide hope. It will provide direction. And then as we go down the aisles and more and more candles get lit up, the darkness is going to be overcome and there is going to be light and it's going to give us a picture of salvation because Jesus came to be the light of revelation. Tonight, on the eve of the day that we celebrate His birth, Every single person can know the confident hope and assurance of salvation. No matter how good you are, how much you've done, what your background is, how, how, how much your resume reads well spiritually. Like Simeon, we all need a Savior. And God has prepared the way of salvation for us. Even before you and I drew our first breath and committed our first sin, God says, I love you and I'm merciful, and I'm compassionate, and I'm going to offer you a way out of the darkness into the light. I pray tonight that if you have never put your trust fully in Him, that tonight's the night. That God speaks to you and you say, I understand, Paul, I get it now. Christ came to save me. And if you do trust in Him, I pray that you will love Him more and more and that our lives will be like Simeon, oh, righteous and holy and praising God for what He has done. Because He's a wonderful Savior, isn't He? He's a gracious and loving and compassionate God who didn't have to redeem us, but sent Christ to do that. Praise His name. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you on this evening as we think about your birth. As we think about what you did through Christ. Lord, that our hearts would be full of joy. That we would be aware that you have intervened into history because of our need. That we are hopeless, that we are helpless, that we have nothing without you. And Lord, I pray tonight for anybody in this room that does not know that truth in their heart, that tonight would be the time that they would put their confidence in you and know that salvation is true. That Christ is the one who redeems, that he is the light in darkness. 
Lord, we praise you that you have provided the answer that none of us had. That you have come here. So that we can be saved. Lord, we praise you and we love you and we honor you on this Christmas Eve. We're so grateful to you for what you have done. We thank you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I would ask Randy and Tracy and Julie to come up. If you would, prepare your candles to do that.